Welcome to Leading Age Workforce Innovators, a Leading Age podcast. This series, created by our Center for Workforce Solutions, examines promising practices and innovations to meet workforce challenges. The Center's website is leadingage.org forward slash workforce. There, you will find links to all of the podcasts in this series, along with many other resources, including promising practices, tools, presentation materials, fact sheets, policy news, and more. I'm Gene Mitchell, editor of Leading Age magazine. The interview you're about to hear was recorded on-site at the Leading Age annual meeting in October 2018 in Philadelphia. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm speaking to three guests. Two of them are from Clark Lindsay Village, a Leading Age member in Urbana, Illinois. Laura Edwards is Director of Strategic Initiatives, and Ricky Brady is Vice President, Health Services and Administrator. Our third guest, Wendy Bartlow, is an Outreach Specialist at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. They are presenting an education session on innovative recruitment and retention at this conference. Hello, Laura, Ricky, and Wendy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Gene. Thanks for having us. Thanks. I'm glad you could come. Wendy, I want to start with you. Why is it a good idea for a university to form a relationship with a leading age member community? What does each of them gain from that? Well, thanks for your question, Jean. And, you know, um, I approach this because I'm an employee of the university, but I'm also a board member at Clark Lindsay Village. So I want opportunities for both to be successful. So a good reason for a university to form a relationship with a leading age community is because there are a lot of benefits for both sides. On the university side, we often look to do research with older adults. We need a venue to do that in. We need research participants. We also need educational opportunities for our students. And I think at the leading age community side, there's an opportunity to grab students and get them interested in careers in aging services. Uh, whether they might come work at your specific uh, organization or an, another organization elsewhere. Uh, it's, a, it's a good opportunity to get people at an age where they're still trying to figure out what they might want to do with their lives. I think it's also a really great opportunity to dispel some ageist myths about what it means to be an older person just by having students interact with older people. And so we as a university are always looking to provide opportunities for students to learn. Okay. What do the students get out of it? Do, you, do, you, do they give you feedback about their experiences? Yes, absolutely. So a lot of our students really um, they enjoy interacting with older people. They enjoy interacting with people different than themselves. Because you have to remember that students, they're really, this is one of the only times in their lives when they're in practically an age homogenous environment. They're um, living with all people their same age. They're going to school with all people their same age. They're in clubs with people their same age. A lot of their coworkers are their same age. So um, a lot of them remark to me that they don't interact with children and they don't interact with older people and they like getting off campus. What's the most important advice about forming these relationships that uh, you can give our members? I think of being clear about expectations and deliverables. Having conversations early on about what you expect from your university partners and realizing that your goals might not be the same, so looking for overlap. For us at a university, the most our goals are really to do research, to educate, and to publish the work that we do. 
So look for on our side, it's looking for opportunities to do that. So being clear about objectives on both sides. Wendy, can you tell us what the chart apartment is? So CHART stands for Collaborations in Health, Aging, Research, and Technology. And this is, this is a research theme of ours. So we have several different labs on campus working in this theme, a lot of different researchers and a lot of different students working on. The goal is really to harness the power of technology to improve the lives of older adults. And that can mean a variety of different things. So for this research, we actually lease an apartment at Clark Lindsay Village so that research can be done and can be conducted where the older adults are actually living in a home-like environment. We don't want to just develop technology in a lab. We want to test it in a home-like environment. So we have a lot of exciting projects going on there and it's really students that are coming out and doing the data collection. So the students visit the apartment as a, as a home base when they're working at Clark Lindsay? Yes. Do any of them actually live there or is it just used as, a, as an office? Right now it is just used for research purposes, but I think Laura can talk a little bit about interns and residents. Okay. All right, well, that was my next question actually, Laura. I wonder if you could explain the major elements of your internship program. Who can apply? How does it work? Who is it for? Sure. So we've had over 110 interns over the past five years go through our internship program, which is pretty remarkable considering our size. We're a fairly small life plan community with about 300 residents and around 300 employees. So to have 110 interns pass through our doors throughout the past few years has been pretty remarkable. Most of them are undergraduate students coming from a number of different colleges, primarily because of our proximity from the University of Illinois, but also a number of other state schools. And um, students will travel near and far to come to our internship program. And just like Wendy mentioned, sometimes they will live at our community as well uh, because they don't live locally and they don't go to school locally. So it makes a lot of sense for them to live in our community. If our members were interested in replicating a program like yours, where do you think they should begin? What are the first things to think about? I think the first place that a community would need to start is designating one specific point person to lead the program. Uh, the lack of continuity and lack of clarity can be deterring to students looking to apply to the program. It becomes confusing and they don't know who to contact, they end up calling the front desk and then get passed around to a number of different people until they land at some department that takes interns. And uh, I think that having one point person for the program is essential to the success. Uh, another factor that communities considering starting a program would be developing the relationship with the university which I started just a few years ago by making cold calls to the university and sending emails, just asking for some FaceTime with professors and advisors and getting the word out. Their students may not come to you, you have to go to them. And the easiest way to do that is to create a presence with the professors, advisors, and university staff. How about relationships between the residents and the students? How does that go? We hear from our residents that our interns bring a fresh breath of air into our community. The youth and the energy that's brought into our community with our interns is so appreciated by our residents. But also from the interns' perspective, uh, many of them don't live near their grandparents and have limited exposure to older adults and 
they form such deep relationships with our residents. Uh, anything from making meals together to just going on walks together, uh, even if the interns are completely administrative and don't have much resident contact at all, those relationships still uh, come out throughout the semester-long experience. Ricky, I wonder if you could tell us more about your nursing development program at Clark Lindsay. Sure. So one of the things that we had discussed was really to try to put more of an emphasis on retention. We always spend a lot of time on recruitment, but how could we retain the staff that we have? Right. So one of the things that we did, our um, director of nursing was very passionate about not only staff education, but also that relationship with the staff. So we created a new position, um, nursing educator and staff liaison. And that position is actually part of our HR department. It gives um, her time to focus on orientation, program development, and relationships with the staff that we currently have. It then created two director of nursing positions, one for our short-term rehab and one for our long-term care unit. This allowed the directors to have more um, of a relationship, get to know their staff by having fewer staff members that report to each director of nursing. We also have developed a CNA orientation program that starts the very first day with what we call Club 101, which is an introduction to Clark Lindsay, to our culture and our philosophy of care. And then after they go through the Club 101, um, they have lunch with the new director with their new director of nursing um, to start building that relationship with them. The new CNA is paired with an experienced CNA in our CNA mentorship program. They take them under their wing, not only orienting them to the floor and to the daily routines, but also getting to know our residents and the other staff members. We also started a program where we recruited CNAs from within Clark Lindsay. We knew that we had staff in other departments like dining services and housekeeping that were very interested in becoming CNAs but really couldn't afford to take the time off work or afford um, the education cost. So what we did was we had them apply to do that. They had to be accepted into a CNA program within the Champaign-Urbana community. Clark Lindsay continued to pay them their full-time salary, so we paid them for 40 hours per week. They only had to work at Clark Lindsay 20 hours a week, and that allowed them 20 hours a week to attend class and to do their homework. We've been very successful in recruiting seven staff that formerly worked in our dining department or our housekeeping department who are now full-time CNAs. We're actually looking at starting our own CNA program, hopefully in the spring of 2019 to be able to recruit from within. Laura, do you want to talk a little bit about our CNA internship program and our administrator and training program? So through our internship program, we learned that there were a number of university students that were pre-health, pre-PA, pre-PT, pre-nursing that had a CNA, an existing CNA license, and they were wanting to gain more patient contact. And we figured, well, why couldn't we be that place where they could gain that, that contact and that experience? So we created a CNA internship program where these students who are looking towards higher education could come and complete their internship requirements for graduation and work as a CNA for 80% of their required hours and then work in an administrative role doing special projects, uh, research, program development, things like that for the remaining 20% 
of their internship hours. Finally, all of you have included the effects of ageism in your presentation. I wonder if each of you could talk about the effects that it has on the work that you do. Ageism definitely has an impact on our internship program. We find that of our average of about 12 interns every semester, only two of them are actually interested in aging services. The other 10 come to us because they have heard we have a good internship program. We have a good reputation at the university. And through the course of the semester, it is our goal to turn those 10 around and have them uh, have developed at least some interest in aging services. We ask in our pre-survey of our interns what their perceptions are on long-term care, on nursing homes and aging services, and they're always negative, uh, very poor perceptions on the industry. And at the end of the semester, we ask those same questions, and we see remarked improvement in uh, more of a positive perception on the industry. I think from a research standpoint, we also have uh, we did not have a lot of students who are interested in becoming aging researchers. So we are, um, and because of some of these same stereotypes, and I think it's really just through exposure to older people and interacting with older people um, that people begin to, that students begin to enjoy the work. Uh, particularly right now, um, I think a lot of students are surprised by some of the research that we have going on. We have a project going on in the chart apartment about online health ed sexual health education for older adults. And I think a lot of undergraduate students are surprised to find out that, one, this is necessary, and two, that older people are still sexual and still having sex. So I think it's one of the biggest challenges that we face uh, is um, that we don't have enough intergenerational contact. One of the other things that we have at Clark Lindsay is our, what we call our imagine culture. And it's about living life the best that, that you can live it, whether you're a resident or whether you're a staff member. So we strongly encourage our staff to get to know our residents on a personal level. One of the opportunities we provide is staff members are paid um, two hours per month to do something special with a resident, with a group of residents, to lead an activity, to volunteer, um, or if they're not as comfortable being the one that's developing the activity, maybe they cover for a coworker so that coworker can, can do something. So things that we've done um, recently, we had a block party in which um, not only the elders that reside on our campus, but the community was invited. Um, we had a baseball game. Um, staff were there with residents in wheelchairs, running them around the bases. Again, um, just to dispel that it's not about what you can't do, but it's about what you can do. And that relationship that the staff have to really get to know the elders and um, their contributions to society. Our guests today have been Laura Edwards, Ricky Brady, and Wendy Bartlow. Wendy, Laura, and Ricky, thank you for speaking with Leading Age. Thank you for having us, Gene. That conversation was recorded in Philadelphia in October 2018 at the most recent Leading Age annual meeting. Thanks for listening to another Leading Age Workforce Innovators podcast. You can learn more about the Center for Workforce Solutions at its website, leadingage.org forward slash workforce. I'm Gene Mitchell, and the Center for Workforce Solutions is led by Susan Hildebrandt. You can listen to more podcasts on our website, 
and you can subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and leave a comment.